to our slide. We're going to be taking a break from our sermon series again on the book of Ephesians, where we've been talking about discovering who we are in Jesus, because we just got back, some of us, um, your reps and your pastor got back from yearly meeting, um, ended just a number of days ago, and we have a new superintendent, we have new direction, and, and what you see on the screen is his, his future. We can dismiss the children to kids' church, because I forgot to do that. There is a fresh vision brewing in our community as churches of friends in, in uh, the Northwest, and Dr. LaShonda, the superintendent, has, has called it fresh vision. And it was so good and so insightful and so exciting for me and for the rest of us who were able to go that I really felt the Lord um, saying, hey, why don't you uh, let them know what, you, what you're hearing, let them know what you're feeling, let them know what's going on in the other churches. So dozens of other churches around the Northwest within our um, spectrum of friends' belief have been, have been thinking about this idea of fresh vision, praying about this idea of fresh vision, and excited about, I'm excited about what it can mean for us as, as, as a group of churches together, but even as our church, as Vancouver First Friends Church, what, his, what Dr. Lashana's words might mean to us here right now in our place. I know what they meant to me, and maybe as we share them together with you, uh, it might be a challenge and encouragement and exciting for you as well. I have asked um, Ted to read a scripture for us, very well known, but let's, uh, let's stand together as we read God's word, as Ted reads God's word for us. We're going to be talking this morning about vision, and I love that passage. You probably all have it memorized. It is a great reminder to us of why we're here, why we even call ourselves Christians, why we're even a church. And uh, so we're going to share um, really from kind of the plane that Dr. Lashana shared with us during the evening sessions at yearly meeting, what fresh vision might mean for Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends, and particularly for you and me, what it means at Vancouver First Friends. And there are three, actually four ideas that he shared, but I'm long-winded, so I'm only going to do three. And we can talk about the other one another time. But one of the things that we shared and, and pondered together was in order to have a fresh vision, first of all, you need to renew your focus on Jesus. Renew your focus on Jesus. And, and that should go without saying, but sometimes it does go without saying, that the first thing, first thing, and there's a, there are dozens of books written on church growth. There are dozens of seminars that you can attend and books you can read about how to grow and how to become more effective. And yet in the Bible, when something big happens, or even in church history, something big happens, this is what happens first. There's a renewed focus on Jesus in our hearts, in our church, in our community, and even in the world. Do you think that we live in a culture that focuses a whole lot on Jesus? Maybe if there is a focus, it's negative, right? It's, it's accusatory, it's filled with negativity, and there's a lot of bad perceptions out there about Jesus and about the church. But in the Bible, when God is about ready to do something, or even in this passage in Matthew chapter 18, something happens in that. Did you notice it? In Matthew chapter 18, it said that when, they, when he started coming to them, they saw him and they worshiped him. 
Now, whenever I heard the Great Commission passage preached, it's always been about what happens after they saw him, right? It's the words that Jesus used uh, for us to be sent out and to go. But before that, before that happened, something really critical happened. His disciples were busy doing their thing, going on their path, doing their thing, living their life, and then all of a sudden they beheld Jesus. I mean, they really saw him with their eyes. There was a kind of connection and receptivity, a sense of awe that they just stopped everything they were doing. And the Bible simply says, and they worshiped him. We've got to start with a focusing in on Jesus above all else. heard about a new kind of theology this past couple weeks I've never heard of. It's called dog and cat theology. Anyone ever heard of that? Dog and cat theology? Yeah, a couple of folks who are there know about it, but it was new to me. And I'm going to teach you some theology this morning. We'll see the first one on the screen. You're either a cat or a dog in this kind of theology. And the first one is a cat. And what a cat says, and who has a cat? Anyone have a cat here this morning? About half of you. That's pretty good. So you'll get it. A cat says, you exist to serve me to its master. You pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. I must be God. And does your cat ever act like it's the God of the house? You better believe it does. It's based on itself and its own needs. Let's go to the next one. So we may come at God as from the view of a cat, that we are God because we get everything that we need. A dog's, who has a dog here this morning? All right, a little bit less than half. Did your cat and your dog not get along? Is that what happened? Maybe. A dog says, I exist to serve you. You pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. And has your dog ever just come up to you when you're sad and put its head on your leg and looked up at you with those eyes that just, it couldn't speak, but you know what that dog was saying? It comes and it sits at your feet, and in its own way, it worships you. You are his or her world, and it revolves and pleasing you and doing what you say. And we can spend so much time living in a cat kind of theology where we have to get our needs met, and everything has to be right in our world, and everything has to be about us. And whether we realize it or not, we reflect to others and to God how much we think of ourselves. Every time our cat walks by me, it just sticks its tail up in the air and like, hmm, who are you? And we can live our way, our life like that in the way we relate to God. Our nose up in the air. I don't think any of us have a tail, so we don't have to worry about that. But it does reflect pretty simply how we relate to God. Either we adore him and we serve him and we see him or we just kind of brush by doing our own thing and going our own way because we don't need to see him. We don't need to know him because we're the most important thing in our world. And if we want to have freshness and rejuvenation and excitement and growth, then this is where we need to begin is to refocus our heart upon God. How many of you heard the passage in Isaiah chapter 6? Well, Isaiah is in heaven, right? He's in the Holy of Holies, and there's an amazing moment there, and he says, 
who's going to go? And he says, send me. Right? Remember that? But you remember what happened before? The scripture says, I beheld him. I saw him. In fact, if you turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 6 later and read it, it talks about the, the kind of worship that happened in that moment when everyone beheld the Lord's presence together. And it says that the threshold shook, the walls are shaking, and literally in that moment of worship, the foundations of heaven were quaking because those in attendance saw God. And you better believe that when we see God, something changes within us. That's why it's my favorite, the meaning of worship, is seeing God with my spirit and with my heart and with my mind, even though I can't see him with my eyes, and being changed by that experience, being changed by that moment when I beheld him in all of his love and all of his glory. For 41 years of my life, I read that passage. Well, I didn't read it when I was one. So 40, 38 years of my life, I read that passage in Isaiah 6, and I missed it. I always thought it was about my response. I always thought that was the focus on what I could say and what I could do. But what shook heaven was not Isaiah's response by what he did, but it was by the crowd's reaction to who they saw. I just want to ask you this morning, what do you think about? When you wake up in the morning, when you're at work or the grocery store or at school or with time alone, how often does your heart turn to, to the Lord? How often do you ask God to give you a new understanding of who he is, what he's like? That has been such a joy for me to preach this series in Ephesians because I have in my own heart experienced over and over again a, a new understanding, a new view of Jesus and how he loves me and how he wants to work in my life and how I am to live before him. And freshness and vitality starts with a fresh vision, a refocusing on Jesus above all else. The problem is we want to do everything else first and then expect that he'll come. You ever tell God, hey, Lord, I'll do that, but first I have to do these things. I'll believe in you after I get a job, after I'm done with school, after this or after that. And over and over again in the Bible, when God was able to do something, it was because we stopped and our eyes were opened to a fresh encounter with Jesus. Secondly, this morning, in order to have a fresh new vision, we need to get our eyes off or our focus off of our problems and onto the needs of others. Get our eyes off our own problems and get our eyes onto the needs of others. I want to ask you this morning, is anyone here today without a problem in your life? Anyone like that? No one. Oh, you're an honest bunch. That's great. Or your arms are tired. I don't know which. Anyone here this morning with, with no stress factors in their life at all? We all have it, don't we? In fact, there was a study done. We, we learned this the other night at early meeting. Um, it's actually a scientific study of, of how we process visual things, we process life based on the amount of, of stress and anxiety we have in our own heart and life. And the idea is that the more 
the more acute our sensories are of ourselves, the more acute our sensory perceptions are of the needs of others. And so we're going to show a picture in a minute of two dolphins jumping out of the ocean. And the idea is, is that, the, that the more aware you are of stress in your life, the, the better off you'll be able to discern the difference between the two dolphins on the screen. So you look really carefully here in a minute of the two dolphins up there on the screen. Can you see any differences in these two creatures? Let's look at it together. I would say we all have some stress, wouldn't you, in our life? That actually is a scientific study based on that in our world today. The danger for the Christian is, is that we get so focused on our problems, how things aren't how they were, how they seemed, or the way we thought God was going to design things to be, that we get trapped in our own stuff. Have you ever known of a church that was so worried about their own things that they failed to care about the community outside them? There are churches all over this nation that are so worried about what's happening within their four walls or six walls or however you want to divide up your building that they don't focus on the needs of others. Every church has problems. Most churches in the United States need more money. Most churches in the United States need more volunteers. Most, we, we need all those things. But for vitality and for growth and for blessing, we need to get our eyes off of our own problems, off of our own stresses, onto the needs of others. And it's a discipline that we have to be willing to follow Jesus in. And I don't think he can do, number two, what we're on now without the first one happening, right? If you don't have a fresh, vibrant view of Jesus, a sense of awe and wonder and and excitement to serve him and follow him wherever you go, then it's going to be really hard to do this one. Because you're kind of living like the cat still. You're God. You're in charge. It's what matters most to you. And what a humbling thing it was to sit in that auditorium and be reminded, even as pastors, it's really easy sometimes to just fall into maintenance mode at home or at church or wherever it is. And just let the world outside go on and try to figure it out for themselves. And yet that passage was, Jesus said, you're to go and be a world changer as we follow him. I think we've all heard the story of the Good Samaritan probably over and over and over again. And here's a reminder that people who are trained, maybe even paid, to be sympathetic and to be empathetic and to be able to take their eyes off of their own prejudices, take their eyes off their own problems, take their eyes off their own stress. And, and two of the three just went ho-hum by. They were so worried about their own life and their own stuff that they just passed this poor beaten man left on the side of the road to die. And what's so pungent about this story is, is that the enemy of the storyteller, the enemy of the crowd who was going to hear this story, was the only one who had the eyes to see the problem that was in front of them. The only one that was able to get his heart off of his own problems in order to see someone who literally was his enemy and to be there for him in that moment. Don't think that the crowd in Jesus' day didn't miss that. He hit him between the eyes. The person, the people, the group, the place that you are least likely to want to serve may likely be the place that Jesus points you to go. But in order to do that, we have to get our eyes and our hearts off of our own problems 
in order to see the issues and the needs in the lives of other people. Now, I've been at First Friends for almost four years now, getting really close, just a three, little less than three more weeks. About five or six months in, we played this video that we're going to watch now for you. We're going to do it again. As a reminder, wherever you go, and this one's in a hospital, but it could be the grocery store or the bank or the church or your home, anywhere you go, what's going on in the lives of the people around us? You know, there's a special sensitivity that the Lord wants to give us, don't you think? First of all, to himself. That we would, through times of worship or reflection or private devotion, sense him anew and afresh and see him and be changed. As we see him and are moved by the things that move him, then we, we get our eyes off of ourselves and our problems And we turn our attentions to the things that move God, to the things that touch his heart. And we see the needs of those around us and are moved by the Holy Spirit to act upon them. Thirdly and lastly this morning, we are to get our vision off of our inabilities and onto God's ability. Have you ever told God, I can't? You ever said that? The Holy Spirit says something to you, tries to send you, tries to move upon you. Maybe you've seen him and you felt him and he's touched you and he says, son or daughter, I want you to talk to this person about me. I want you to go to this person and ask for forgiveness or try to make this right or go to this house and invite them to church. And in your, maybe your first reaction is, huh, and then the next one is, I can't. It's a classic human reaction. And if you look through the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3 and Jeremiah chapter 1, godly, powerfully used men of God, initial reaction was, say what? Me? I'm a kid. I don't speak so well. I'm going to mess it all up. They were tripped up on their own when God wanted to show them himself so they could be reflecting upon his ability. The story told of a basketball team years ago and, and uh, the player at the end of the bench had sat there the whole season. He hadn't played a single game, a single minute, a single second of the entire season. And he was getting ready for the last game and kind of as a joke, um, you know, the warm-up shoot, suits they wear, he didn't put his jersey on underneath that jacket. So he was in the buff from the waist up um, as they got seated for the game. And they got quarters away through, partway through the fourth quarter. And, and he had told the other players that, but he hadn't said a word to his coach. So the coach decides, well, it's probably time for that kid to go in. So he's like, come on, come on. And the kid's like, no, no, no. And the coach was like, come on, get over here. And he's like, no, no. And by this time, the, the bench is just cracking up. The guys are just busting out laughing because they know what really is going on and And he was like, get over here. And he was like, coach, I can't. I don't have any clothes on underneath. I can't go out there. And the coach was like, get back on the bench. And I think for the church that we get a fresh vision of Jesus is we're 
we're moved by who he is and how much he loves us and what he did for us on the cross and a fresh focus on remembering Jesus as the most important part of our life is to know him and to love him and to serve him, that he opens our eyes to the needs of those around us. He helps us to, to surrender and to lay down our stuff at his feet so that he can envision us being out there in the community, doing and meeting the needs of those around us. And sometimes we've made it through step one and step God's got us ready to kind of step off the edge and we're like, that's a long ways down. I don't think I have the skills to go there, Lord. Maybe the last time you tried, it didn't go so well. Maybe you were hurt. Maybe someone misused your willingness. Maybe you got burnt out. Maybe you've never tried. And yet Jesus says to the church today that he wants us to see and wants us to be sent out in service to him. I can remember when I was preach a number of years ago, and the Lord had kind of been working on my heart for a while, and I was just like, you know, I'm going to really wanted to pray about it, and, and I wasn't delaying God. I really was trying to earnestly search for what he wanted, not what people around me wanted or what I thought my Christian friends thought I should do. I really wanted to know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's what God wanted me to do. Always a good thing to do to be careful to discern what God's will is. Never going to argue against that. But I remember that Sunday night in Portland, Oregon, I was sitting in basically a revival meeting, and we talked about how God called the great father to lay down his son Isaac. His most important thing, the thing that he, his identity was shaped by, his future as a nation would be determined by this son that God was calling him to surrender. And God was saying to my heart in that moment that my fears were what the thing that I wouldn't let go of. My fear caused me in high school to skip the entire week of speech class because I had to give a five-minute speech. I just didn't even go to class that week. That's how scared I was of speaking in front of others. And the Lord started going to trust me because this isn't about what you cannot do. It is about what I can do through you. And he said the same thing to the early disciples, the early followers. These people, even in the Old Testament, they're like, Lord, I'm a, I'm a kid. I can't go. No one will respect me. I don't even know what to say. God, what would I say to the Pharaoh of this land who would just lop off my head if I even came in unannounced? And over and over again, God said, you know what? It's not about you. It's about me. And do not be afraid because I will be with you. I will give you the words to say. I will go with you. And each and every time he did. Over and over again, God promises to go with us. And every single time he has. So it came down to the critical moment where I, I was, had wrestled with this call for so long. The Lord just said, all right, it's Time to make a decision. I think the pastor even said something about time to make a decision, and I just, I was tore up. I knew now that it was God, what God wanted me to do. I knew without a doubt that I was called, but I was so afraid, I was so trapped on, on my own inabilities that, that I wasn't even able to realize that if God wanted me to do this, he would give me the strength to. It wouldn't be about me, it would be about him. And finally, he said, are you going to follow me in this, or are you just going to stand off to the side? And I said, Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I will do whatever you want me to do. And it was one of the most precious moments of my life as I just saw him, was moved by the things that moved him, 
and was willing to go and do and say whatever he wanted me to say. And whether we're called to the ministry or we're called to the neighbor next door, whether we're called to be a missionary or we're called to talk to the, to the cashier at the grocery store, whether we're in full-time Christian service or we talk to that same person every day on our walk, or at a desk in class, or at another cubicle at work. The Lord said, look out to the fields. They're ripe to the harvest. They're ready. See the things that I see, the way that I see them. And don't worry about your own inabilities because I'm gonna send you and I will give you the strength and the power to follow through. For me, it was a potent moment in Portland those number of years ago. But for some of us, it's just a a daily thing. And I think if you read the the stories of Jesus calling the disciples, it was just a daily thing. Remember, most of them were what? What did they do for a living? They were fishermen. So the story in the Gospels goes that they were doing what most fishermen do. um, If they were done being out in the water, they were sitting there tying their nets. Maybe they got a snag and they ripped one or they caught the biggest fish of their life and and some of the netting had been torn and they didn't want any holes in their net for the fish to get away. So they're sitting there cleaning out their nets, sewing their nets up, just doing what they do, just manual daily stuff. It was not exciting. Do you know anyone, guys of us who likes to sew? It was just boring daily mundane stuff. And Jesus, the Bible says, comes to them in this moment. He says, Put down your nets, lay it all down, and follow me. That's all he said. It doesn't have to be this big, glorious, emotional thing, but it's those daily decisions to just put down and make that choice to follow Jesus into whatever it is that he's leading or calling me into. But the truth of the matter is that following Jesus requires some kind of sacrifice. All of the disciples had to lay something down. They all had to drop whatever it was that was most important to them in order that they could follow the one who would lead them into eternity. Some pastors have called it the cost of discipleship, following him wherever he would want us to go. We're going to um, close a little bit differently today, and some of you are going to like this, and some of you are going to say, Pastor, don't ever do that again. Um, someone could probably go get Rebecca at this time, so she's ready for us when we're um, to the point of worship. But I'm going to grab Jordan a microphone from you, and here's what we're going to do. Because the whole point of this message is to get our eyes off of us. I want your eyes off of the person next to you, the person in front or behind you on the pew, or even off of what you're going to do after church today, and get your eyes out there in the community to the people Jesus died for, the people right now that Jesus wants to come, and he wants to give them a fresh vision of himself. And you know how he wants to do that? Through you and through me. More than likely, there's not going to be a solar eclipse this afternoon after church, and God's just going to say to the entire universe in one moment, I'm God. What's going to happen is you're going to come into the eclipsical path of someone in your world, and you're going to stand between them and Jesus and fill that gap. 
because that's what he's called you to do. And so what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to put you on the spot. It's already on. And what, what we're going to ask you, all I'm going to ask you to do is say someone's name. And I would, we're just going to, we're going to share one person that God has put on our heart right now. It might be your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother. It might be your neighbor. There's got to be someone in your life right now that you would like us all to pray for that God would just give them a fresh vision and understanding. So just really quickly, I'm going to hand it to Ted. It's going to go all the way back to the side. And then, um, Krista, if you, after Al is done and Tiki, you can take it back over there and we'll do it. And I just want everyone to share. You can do first and last name or just first name um, of one person you'd like us to pray for. Hold the microphone close. Very sick and in despair, and uh, her name is Frankie. I would also like to pray for Frankie at our apartment. Pray for Ben. My daughter, Violet. Chris. Sean has a cancerous tumor at the bottom of his brain stem. A prayer for the homeless this afternoon that we're going to be with. I'd like to pray for Buck, my father. I'd like to pray for Kimmy. For Sean. For Robin. My brother, Bud. My sister-in-law, Barbara. My sister. My sister, Tiffany. Tiffany. Jody. Royce. Tennessee. My father-in-law. My dad. Sharon. I like to pray for my dad, William. Brother Karen. Brother Carrie. Uh, I like to pray for L. Um, it's hard for him to come to church because the oxygen only lasts one hour. So I would like more prayer for him. Thank you. My aunt. Randy. Mary from Dollar Tree. She's an employee at Dollar Tree. M-E-R-R-Y. She's living in her vehicle right now. My mother-in-law, Nana. My mom, Virginia. My wife, Tenka. Uh, Joey, who is in prison. 